Hey there, I'm Jennifer Malachi. And I'm Lindsay Paulson. We're the hosts of the Dressage Today podcast, where you can find us talking about anything and everything dressage related. Our conversations span the world of dressage, from leading riders to local level dressage heroes. We're talking training advice, horse care tips, and stories to inspire your own dressage journey. Tune in, then tack up. Hey, so thanks for tuning in to today's episode of the Dressage Today podcast. This is actually our very first episode ever, and we're excited to share all of our upcoming adventures with you. To kick things off, we thought we'd introduce ourselves so you could get to know the voices behind the microphone. I'm Lindsay Paulson, one of your hosts, and today I sit down with my co-host, Jennifer Malachi, to discuss our equestrian backgrounds. We know everyone has a unique journey in this strange place called the horse world, and today we're sharing each of ours. And because we know that life with horses isn't always smooth sailing, we also share some of our greatest personal challenges we faced during our time as horsewomen. We're both adult amateurs with a passion for horses and the sport of dressage, and we hope that you'll find some of our stories and challenges relatable. And maybe, if not relatable, at least interesting. We're diving into the challenges of balancing riding with quote-unquote real life, dealing with performance anxiety, fighting perfectionism, and we're also taking a look at how our relationship with riding has evolved over time. So thanks for hanging out with us. We hope you enjoy. Okay, so Jen, you want to kick us off by telling us about your your riding background and then just some of the some of the personal challenges that you've encountered in your in your riding journey. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, well, probably like a lot of horse crazy girls, um, I started as a kid. My parents paid for my first ten lessons, um, and. I was hooked, but they realized quickly that this was a hobby that they were not going to be able to afford long term. So um, I was fortunate enough that the farm where I rode growing up was only about 20 minutes from my house um, in West Orange, New Jersey. And so I spoke to the farm manager about you know, what can I do? Can I become a working student in exchange for some lessons? So I did whatever I could for one lesson a week, and that, you know, continued all through grammar school and high school, and of course, you know, the, well, the better I got at riding, the more horses I was able to ride. Um, Isn't it funny how that, how that cycle works, and it's like, once you're into that cycle, it seems like, like that 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 works and it's a good system but it's like breaking into that cycle is so hard for so many people yeah well and I think you know and I could be wrong about this but it was very different back then or it seemed like it was you know I was a barn rat back then you know I mean my after school my mom would drive me over to the barn and drop me off and then my dad would pick me up Mm. on his way home from work and I did whatever I could you know I scrubbed buckets I fed horses I held horses for the farrier for the that um, I tacked up all the lesson horses because they had a pretty significant lesson program. Um, so I would tack up, I would cool out, you know, 
whatever job they gave me, I did, you know, it just didn't matter. Um, and initially it was just for that one lesson a week. But then I think once I proved myself that, you know, I was, I was there and I was hardworking and then, you know, I did get better because they started to allow me to ride more horses. It was also a sale barn. So we had, you know, I was very fortunate because we had a lot of really nice horses coming in and a lot of top trainers coming in as well. Greg Best used to come, uh, mm. Frank Chapeau. So I got to watch some of the, you know, some of the top riders, you know. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Of all, I, of all the barns to end up in as yeah, a kid. <laughs> yeah, um, it was, you know, we were about a half hour outside of New York City. So it was it was just a really good place um, for location. Um but yeah, so I mean, I, I, that's where I started and I grew up riding, um, pretty much, you know, the hunters. Um, and in college I ended up on the equestrian team, um, and eventually became the captain and the president of the equestrian team. And we rode pretty much a couple, we had one main barn that we rode at in New Jersey. Um, and then we traveled cause I stayed home for college. So I worked, uh, while I went to school, but then also, you know, growing up or in college rather, I also, you know, would catch ride anything that needed to be ridden. You know, I would talk to people, meet people. And if they had horses that they didn't have time or they needed extra help, you know, that's how I got my riding in. Um, and I would travel, you know, up to an hour and a half, two hours away, you know, go get finished with my classes, you know, in between work or, you know, after work, I would go and ride. Um, and so it was the year I graduated college that I bought my first horse. I didn't let much time <laughs> uh, lag between graduating school, having the having a paycheck, which I was fortunate enough to come out and get a full-time mm -hmm. job right away. Um, and I bought my first horse. And then I continued to work every single weekend, you know, mucking stalls and feeding um, to help defer the cost of board. Um, but... Yeah, so that, you know, and then um, he was my first horse, Ben, was a, I got him as a, he was coming for uh, Tricaner Thoroughbred, and a little bit, you know, difficult, but. He was a big gray, right? He was a big gray, yeah. He was yeah. 17 hands. Oh my gosh. Yeah, and yeah. for those of you who can't see Jen, Jen is tiny. She's, like, how tall are you? 5'4". Yeah, Not okay. too tiny, but yeah, 17 hands was a big horse. Yeah. 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 But he was, he was, um, he wasn't, he was tall, but I fit him well. Um, even though, you know, I'm only five, four and he was 17 hands. It was a good fit. And he truly was my heart horse. Um, I moved from New Jersey to Maryland, uh, in 2000, uh, shortly after I got married, my husband and I moved to Maryland. Um, I followed a job, a career change, um, and worked in the advertising industry for a while so for, for equine related though too right yeah, yeah yep yeah. yep it was uh equine related the clients I was an account executive and the clients that I worked with were yeah horse horse clients um and so I moved Ben with me to Maryland um and continued so continued doing basically hunt seat and then I dabbled a little bit in eventing and he was great eventing um, when we were out schooling with other horses, he was brave and we went out and we jumped things and it was so much fun. And then I tried my very first 
show and it was, I called it the gerbil division. It was Mm -hmm. teeny tiny jumps. And when I asked him to go out into the field and jump those jumps all by himself, he, he was like, there is no way I'm going out there. It took me a long time to get him around that course. And the, the folks there were very generous (laughs) in giving me the time to get him around. But after I was done, I said, you know what? I don't think this is for us because yeah. it just kind of rattled my nerves. Um, the herd, the herd instinct. Why does that kick in at exactly the wrong time? Yeah, it definitely <laughs> did. It definitely did. Um, so actually, I went at that point. I had taken some dressage lessons on him, but that was never my focus. But at that point in time, I thought, you know what? I really want to kind of. I'm my my nerves were a little bit rattled by jumping to begin with. Um, I think the older I got, you know, the more I just started to think, oh, I don't know if I want to jump that, you mm-hmm. know. And so um, I found a dressage trainer um, locally in Maryland who I really liked, and so I started doing a lot more dressage lessons with him, and it was fantastic. I really we never we never showed we never really did anything you know. Uh, fancy, but just the basics, obviously, which, you know, everyone needs. And that just was so much fun, you know, and to see him change and just, I think even our relationship, um, when I would go out and pop over some jumps became better, you know, with, with focusing more on, you know, the basics. Um, yeah. So, um, and I had him until he was, um, I had him for 17 years. That's a long time. It wow. was a long time. It yeah. was a long time. And, um, yeah, had my first, had, um, actually I guess I had both my kids while I still had him and then they would do pony rides on him. Aww. So he was like, he became the family horse, <laughs> you know, but, um, yeah, yeah. Um, and then you got Woodrow. I got Woodrow. Yes. Yeah, so I got Woodrow while I still had been, um, another very big horse he was 17 too I don't know I have no idea why I was drawn to the big horses but I was and uh I um rode I actually he belonged to a gentleman who I had started uh helping him he was unable to really get much time in the saddle so I was helping out and anyway ended up owning Woodrow um and didn't do at this point I was back to doing more, um, I was doing some dressage with him, but I was also, believe it or not, doing some fox hunting. Um, and it was more of the, um, I would say more hilltopping. So less, not so much jumping, but just going out and, um, riding, uh, more hilltopping. So the jumping part was not, wasn't there because I, again, my nerves for jumping kind of had, um, been jangled a little bit, but had a lot of fun with him doing that. But there came a time where my schedule got, um, busy with work and with family related things. And he also was the type of horse who really needed to be ridden. Um, he needed his program. He needed a program. Yeah. Yeah. And he needed somebody who was really a confident rider and was going to have time to ride him, you know, uh, you know, four or five days a week. And that my life kind of was changing. Um, and I didn't have the time and I actually came off of him a couple of times cause he just was a big, powerful guy. And I got, I honestly, I think I was a little in over my head as much as I hate to admit that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did what I swore I would never do. I ended up selling him and that was 
it it took a couple years for me to come to the realization that that was the right thing for for me and for him um, because he wasn't you know in the best situation that he could have been in either because obviously you know, not living a bad life so <laughs> no certainly not no certainly not he was he was well loved and very well cared for but but um, you know, I think he really enjoyed the fox hunting and I had gotten to a point where I didn't want to do that anymore. And he wasn't real happy being in the ring. You know, he was a horse who I think was much happier out of the ring. And so I came to terms with that and found somebody who was wonderful, who helped, you know, get him back into the hunt field. And, and now he's living in Missouri hunting with a, a hunt out there. And the woman, you know, is he's living a wonderful life out there, but it was a very, very hard decision for me to make because I wanted to make it work no matter what. And it, I was fighting myself, um, mentally more than anything, you know, um, with the fact that, you know, I think I had gotten to a point in my life where I needed to just take a break. I needed to step back from what I was doing and, and get a smaller horse <laughs> if I ever currently I'm horseless but um, if I ever do purchase again it's going to be small it may even be a pony I'm I'm voting personally I'm voting for a Connemara pony because I think that'd be the cutest thing in the world yeah yeah and if it ever happens again that's probably the <laughs> the way I will go um, and you know actually I've been doing now that I am horseless you know um, I, my daughter is riding, which is a lot of fun because I get to watch her, you know, kind of the joy that I had as a kid. I'm seeing, you know, on her face as she's, as she's learning and riding and, um, but I've also been taking some lessons of my own, you know, not as frequently as I'd like, but yeah, definitely doing some dressage lessons and a pony. Yeah. So that's been, that's been a ton of fun. Okay, we need to hear more about Bubba the Pony because you've blogged about him a few times and we've seen some really cute pictures of him. Can you just like paint paint the picture of Bubba the Pony for us? Oh my us? gosh, <laughs> he is a little love. Um, he is, he's uh, a fell pony who is just, he's adorable. If you haven't seen the pictures on Instagram or Facebook, definitely go check them out. He's got a forelock to die for. I he, always, he literally looks like, like Fabio yes. with this like long swooping, like dark, mysterious way about him with his flowy forelock. Yeah, he definitely does. And he is, um, as honest as the day is long. I mean, Allie Calkins, who is his owner and my instructor who she's just phenomenal. Um, she says he just, he's the type of pony or type of yeah, type of pony that when you ride him, you know, he's going to give you, he's going to take care of you no matter what, but he's also not going to just go out there and do everything push button. Um, he definitely, you know, when you're riding correctly because his gear goes, he feels like a horse under you. It's just amazing to feel, um, how, how he changes as your position is correct and your contact is correct. And, um, so he's really, He's just like a little, like a little schoolmaster, you I, know? I will also never know what that feeling is like to ride a pony who feels like a horse because I think I probably popped out of the womb too tall to ever <laughs> ride a pony. So, I know. I have, so I'm I, jealous. Yeah, I think I'm pretty, I do. I find myself kind of fortunate in that respect that I can ride something that 
small, but that cool. You yeah, know, I yeah. mean, he definitely, you know, there's been a couple times where I'm on him and, you know, I get, I, I'm doing the all the right things. And all of a sudden I'm like, holy cow, what, what just transformed underneath me? Mm, this, I, yeah. this pony has become a horse, but it's a pretty cool feeling. But he is, he's just wonderful because I know, you know, he's not, he's not going to do anything you know, he's not going to spook. He's not going to do anything to scare me because I'm one of those, you know, those adults who had to get my confidence back. Um, you know, I've been riding all my life and it's a really weird place to be in when you get into your, you know, mid and upper forties and you're like, I'm scared to get on, you know, I don't like that feeling, but with some, but with a pony or a horse that is, you know, um, like Bubba, you know, obviously anything can happen, but I know I trust Allie and I trust him that I can get on and just kind of start over a little bit. And it's also mentally trying to put myself in a place where it's okay to kind of go backward and Mm -hmm. start again. Mm -hmm. Um, and also just try to learn how to enjoy it again. Cause I think I got to a point with Woodrow where I was so stressed out by, um, the fact that things weren't working, but I was trying so hard to make something work that wasn't going to work that I did need to step away from that. And, and I lost the joy that I had as a kid. And I am, you know, when I get on Bubba, I find that again, you know, and, um, now it's just finding time to, to get out there and do it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. but okay. So you've touched on, you've touched on a lot of different stuff here. Um, if we were to hone in on like, I don't know, like one of the biggest challenges that you faced in your, in your riding journey, because we certainly all have them. Um, what, what would, what would you say one of the big challenges has been? Um, or the one you want to talk about today. Right. Yeah. <laughs> There's been a lot. There has been a lot. I think, you know, it's actually what I just touched upon for me, um, becoming, um, a working adult with a family. Um, I only have two kids, but those two kids keep me pretty active. Um, and kind of for me, the challenge has been losing what I had as a horsewoman, as a younger horsewoman and what I have now. Like it's just, it's different and it's learning to become okay with that and to know that it's okay to, you know, maybe take those steps backward and start over again and learn to find, you know, it, it isn't like it was when I was a kid. I'm not going to just go out there and hop on anything and, you know, go out and, you know, jump a course or ride, go trail riding on anything. I really, you know, I have to put more thought into what, what I'm going to sit on now. Um, that was hard for me. That was really hard for me. And it was also hard for me to walk away from it because I felt like I was, um, cheating myself, you know, Mm. like I was giving up a piece of my life that, or giving up what I had seen as who I was. That was who, that's how I identified. I identified myself as a horse person. And so selling my horse was like, I, then who am I, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, and obviously there's a lot, I'm more than just that, you know, I have a wonderful family and I have, you know, other hobbies and, you know, it's that there's way more to me than just that. But that was, that was really difficult for me to come to 
grips with. And it's taken a couple of years and I still am horseless and maybe I always will be, you know, at this point, you know, I mean, it might be that I just become the, the person who goes out and takes lessons or maybe half leases a horse. And I think I'm more okay with that today than I was a year ago or two years ago. Um, but for me, that was tough. I I think like something that you and I have a lot in common and, and something that our readers can probably relate to too, is that like our personality type is not to, not to be casual about the things that we're invested in. And so like, like if we're into something, we're in it. It's all or nothing. All or nothing. And it's, and I mean, for me, it's, it's, it's easier for me at the stage of my life that I'm in to, to do things all or nothing. But when, when your mom, you've got kids, you've got a job, you've got a husband, you've got additional hobbies Mm -hmm. and, and all these other responsibilities. Um, I mean, that, that seems like a hard place to be in and because you, you really, it's hard to go all the way with something like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely have to, I mean, I'm, I'm learning that if I want it, I'm going to have to just readjust how I perceive my, my life as a horse person and my riding. And it's today at this stage in my life, it's not all encompassing like it was, you know, 10 years ago. Um, and that's okay for now, you know, and when my kids are older and off on their own, that may change. You know, I could see myself really getting more involved in dressage lessons and getting back to that place where, you know, I, horses are a much bigger part of my life and they'll always be a part of my life. But right, you know, just knowing when is the, knowing when the time is right for something, you know, no matter what it is, whether it's horses or it's my running or, you know, cause that's the other hobby that I picked up when the horses kind of went, you know, when I sold Woodrow, I needed something to do, you know, but no matter what it is, it's finding that balance in your life and knowing, you know, how to, how to be okay with, you know, this stage of my life. It's a little bit less, it may become more down the road when things are quieter for me. Um, but yeah, I would say that's probably was, has been my biggest challenge. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's me. Uh, <laughs> and yeah. I've talked a lot about myself. So <laughs> why don't we hear from you, Linz, about, you know, where you started um, with your riding career? Yeah. Um, whew, Okay. I, the challenge of this is like not to ramble on for a million hours for me because I could talk about this all day long. Um, but yeah, so, so I, um, I don't come from a horsey family like, like Jen, my parents didn't know anything about horses. Um, and so I think I was like five years old and my best friend, um, at the time she, you know, loved to draw and she was always drawing pictures of horses when we were in preschool. And so I was always kind of looking her, looking over her shoulder, wanting to copy whatever she was doing. And, um, we actually took, her, I think, but you know, my mom needed to help out her mom one day and take her to a riding lesson or something. And of course I wanted to go to, and like the running joke between me and my family is that my mom kind of looked at all the work that was going on and all the like hustling and bustling around the barn. And I think she like out loud was like, Oh man, I'm so glad Lindsay's not interested in this. This is obviously way too much work for Lindsay. This is, she, she won't be willing to do this. And thank God Lindsay's not into this because it would just cost too much money and we could never do this. Uh-huh. And, and now however many years later, right here we are. It was not a passing phase. <laughs> no, no. Um, so obviously since we didn't, didn't know what we were doing at all, my, my family was really supportive of me and they, you know, 
finally did agree to let me take lessons, but we kind of just went with whatever barn was the closest to our house. Um, and so I started riding at this, um, kind of old school German dressage barn. And it was really like, it was a really interesting place. Um, and I, I can't think of many barns in our country that kind of operate the same way that mine did. Um, although the more that I've gotten immersed in the dressage world, the more I learned that it's certainly more typical of, uh-huh. of, you know, what it's like in Germany. But, um, so my, the, the first lessons that I had actually were vaulting lessons. Um, yeah. And, and the idea, you know, of course, is to develop your balance in your seat before kind of introducing all of these other factors, um, that that's affect cool. your training. Yeah. yeah that's neat. And at the time I just thought that was normal. I just thought, Oh, that's what everybody does. Um, so I spent a year doing vaulting and I had been doing gymnastics before then. So luckily I had a lot of like upper body strength and stuff like that. And of course my parents were having like heart attacks watching me like hang off the side of a horse and do headstands and stuff like that. Um, And then, so after we vaulted for a year, we were allowed to progress to, like, lunge lessons. Um, And I was like, oh, my God, when am I going to get to hold the reins myself? Like, (laughs) this is driving me nuts. Um, So we did lunge lessons. We did a lot of time without stirrups, a lot of time without reins, um, a lot of lunge lessons. Um, So then after, like, two years of riding, then I was finally allowed to sit on a horse by myself. That's fantastic, though. Yeah, and then then we did, like, nose, you know, you ride in a line, nose to tail behind Mm -hmm. all the horses in Mm -hmm. front of you. Um, And the the trainer at the time, the the head trainer at that farm, she was a Grand Prix uh, dressage rider, and, I mean, she she was tough. She was Mm -hmm. unbelievably tough in, in both good ways and... And, and ways that were harder to deal with. Uh-huh. Um, but she was an incredible rider. She was beautiful. The way she sat on a horse was just like, uh, still unbelievable. Was she German? Was her, she... her family was. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and she used a lot of, a, a lot of, you know, German terminology uh-huh. in her teaching. Uh-huh. Um, and, and I remember we used to have these little schooling shows out at the barn. Um, and, she would do this demonstration. I think, I think for, you know, the kids and for the family to see like what all this is leading toward, you know? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so she would put on her top hat and tails and do a, like a freestyle for everybody. And it was, I just remember getting chills as a kid watching that and looking at that and saying like, Oh God, I want that so yeah. bad, you know? Yeah. Um, and I was, and I just remember thinking like, when am I ever going to get there? Like, it just feels, that feels like that's 10 million years away uh-huh. from, because I can't even ride without, <laughs> I can't even ride off of a lunge line right now. Um, so I think that that image to me has always been, I don't know, it's its always been kind of like seared into my memory, yeah. you know, of, of the thing I've been chasing. Um, but anyway, yeah, so, so I spent, I spent, a few years at that at that barn and then my family moved to a different city uh we moved to savannah georgia which which is a really interesting place um especially for horses um because there isn't a strong dressage community there there's i i probably wouldn't even say there's a strong equestrian community there to begin with um yeah you had to travel quite far didn't you yeah and and so I was looking for a dressage barn there. There was none to be found, yeah. let me assure you. So the place that I ended up, and it was the only place in the area that even had a dressage ring, <laughs> um, and it was a, an eventing barn, um, and it was, you know, low-level, very kid-friendly. Um, and I, the the trainer that I rode with there, her name was Jennifer. Huh? <laughs> um, and I know a lot of good Jennifers, yeah. I guess. Um, she, 
she was someone who was really important in my like development as a rider because I had come from this really strict, very supervised, very controlled, very perfectionistic dressage upbringing. And, and, and while that's valuable and good, um, Mm -hmm. it was very welcome to have this kind of other stage in my riding life where, where, um, Jen was like, yeah, take the horses on a trail ride, go down the road, go take them swimming. Let's throw the horses in a trailer and go to the beach and take them for a gallop. And how old were you? Um, uh, I think I was like, oh my God, we moved when I was in the middle of sixth grade, which is like the worst time to move a child. (laughs) So yeah, so I was probably in my like early teens. Okay. Okay. Um, and of course then I got introduced to eventing, Mm -hmm. um, and I kind of, I drifted away from, from, you know, strict pure USDF dressage just because it wasn't available to me. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I mean, what kid doesn't want to learn how to jump anyways, Right. right? Right. So, um. So I, I got into eventing. I got my first horse, Cat, um, who I've – she's, like, my constant muse. I write about her all the time. So shameless plug. If you want to go check out the blogs, go to <laughs> dressagetoday.com. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, so so Cat was, was a packer for me, mm-hmm. essentially. And she was just the kind of horse where she, you know, you just – stay out of the way and she'll take care of everything. And, and, and I still have her. I've had How her. How old is she now? Oh, she's like 27. Wow. I always joke. She's going to live to be like 40. <laughs> she's <laughs> going to be so yeah. old. Yeah. Um, and she's still wild by yeah. the way. Um, <laughs> but anyway, she's a good girl. She, she can get really excited about things, but at the end of the day, she's, she's very safe and she knows her job. And so she's just a little spicy thoroughbred mare. But, um, so I took her to college with me. Most of my big life plans have been centered around cats. So I went to Otterbein uh, University in Ohio, um, where I evented with her for several years. I rode with some really, like, really great people. Um, and, and, I, and I pursued this eventing thing um, as hard as I could. And, and it was kind of interesting because I probably competed at novice level eventing for like seven years without <laughs> moving up. And, um, and I was just kind of like the self-sabotaging rider and I would just, uh. I would just get into the stadium jumping ring and just, you know, kind of like not see a distance and gallop my horse at the fence aimlessly. And then, and then, um, you know, kind of hurl myself into the dirt because <laughs> I don't see a distance. Um, so there were a lot of years of really unsuccessful eventing that, that was really frustrating for me because I was like, I've got a great horse. I couldn't have a better horse for this job. I couldn't have better instruction. Um, I mean, like at the time I was riding with Carrie Briggs, um, who's, who still teaches at Otterbein, at Otterbein um, and she's evented through advanced level. And then I was also taking lessons with Bruce Mandeville, who was a um, two-time Canadian Olympian on the eventing mm-hmm. team. And they were, they were incredible teachers. And I felt, I, part of me felt bad because I was like, Oh God, I must be such a disappointment to them. And, and uh, you know, all these other kids are just moving right on up the levels and having these great achievements. And here I am just trying not to fall off in the dressage was calling you. I know, <laughs> I know it must've been. And I, I was kind of uh, ignoring it a little bit. Um, but yeah. And I was like, how is it? I've got a great horse for the job. I have, I couldn't have better instruction. And here I am just, like beating my head against a wall, mm-hmm. getting nowhere. And, and not that I'm so, so keyed into competitive success. It's not like I have to go and win things. It's just, you, you would like to see some kind of quantifiable progress mm. over the course of like right. 10 years. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so that was really frustrating. And then, but, but at the same time, as much as I was, you know, big picture frustrated with the fact that I hadn't Im- improved and made the 
made the quantifiable progress. I mean, I learned so much at that time. I learned so much about like my, my, the, the mental side of things mm-hmm. and fighting these like, you know, m- mental demons that you have inside of right. you being like, you can't do that. You know, like yeah. Lindsay, what are you anxious about today at the horse show? <laughs> you, know, you know, stuff like that. So, um, it, it was a great learning experience and I, I don't regret it at all, but I'm also very glad that one day I kind of like, woke up and what, what's that phrase like smelled the roses is that uh, it? Yeah. I don't know I, I had this realization that I was like I I think I need to get back to dressage um but were you still in school when that happened you were still in at Otterbein or had you graduated at that point so I had just graduated from college and I had moved to Maryland to start my okay. job with mm-hmm. dressage today um full-time and the the funny thing was was that I knew that eventually I was going to, I would make the switch to just mm-hmm. dressage, but I still had Kat, this great little event horse who was wonderful and very happy, very sound, very willing to, to do things. So I was like, well, what am I going to do? Um, and, and it, it turns out that Kat actually, <laughs> this was a blessing in disguise because Kat had terrible allergies for some reason, she, you know, she's lived all over the country and for some reason she was just deathly allergic to the state of Maryland. And so my, when I moved her here full time, I had the priority of, I was like, I don't even care what kind of barn she's at. It just needs to be somewhere that has good care that I know she's going to be well looked after and that the allergies are, excuse me, under control. Um, and so the barn that I ended up boarding her at was a little tiny dressage barn that wasn't, wasn't competitive at all. But the thing was, was that it didn't have any jumps, um, uh-huh. which I was like, well, whatever, it doesn't matter. I don't care. It's fine. And so about a year went by and I was like, Hmm, I haven't jumped in a year. And then I was like, I don't really miss it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so you began leasing a horse, didn't you at that point? Yeah. So I, I, it took something that also took me a really long time. Um, that was really hard for me to admit was that cat wasn't, while Kat was the most perfect kids event horse you could ask for, she was not she was not cut out to do dressage competitively. Right. And at her age, I think she was like twenty three. I didn't think it was fair to to this horse had already given Start me a so whole much new career. Yeah, yeah, be like, oh, yeah. we're gonna change a plan now, mm-hmm. sister. Um, and so I and, and of course I wasn't really in a financial place to buy a second horse. Who's who? Okay, first of all, who's ever in a financial place to own one horse, <laughs> let alone two? Isn't that the truth? Yeah. Uh, um, but I I needed to figure out whatever my next step was, so I ended up posting something on like an ISO on Facebook, just mm-hmm. being like, "Hey, I'm looking for free horses to ride." And luckily, we're in Maryland, and so we have a lot of options. Um, and I had so many people offer horses to me to ride, um, not because I'm a great rider, but just because there are a lot of horses that need to be ridden. Right. Um, so I, I yeah, so I, I rode a bunch of horses. There were two that I kind of ended up doing partial leases on and, and just focused on doing dressage with them. And um, I, I didn't compete them. It was mm-hmm. It was purely... You know, you're like, like you know, you're just in right. it for the learning experience. Yep, yep. educational. Um, yep, which was great, and it gave me a little time to figure out what I wanted to do next. So, um, but at the end of the day, I probably spent so much money driving around Maryland and you know paying for for whatever else, uh, you know, all these additional lessons and going from one barn to the next um, that I was like, you know. I think actually at this point it would probably be cheaper and less complicated if I just bought a second horse. Time to go horse shopping. <laughs> right. <laughs> so um, so I went off on my second horse shopping adventure of my life and um, I kind of set the goal that I, I was looking for a horse to get my USDF bronze medal mm-hmm. with, um, which I know is a uh, – that's, that's a humble – 
humble is that the word modest modest mm-hmm. not humble mm-hmm. modest modest goal to have in the grand like big picture of dressage life but for me that that was a big goal right. um and so yeah so I happened to get really really lucky and come across the second mare that I bought and she's she um again is older um more of a schoolmaster type um I of course wasn't in a position where I could have like I could either have young and nice but not educated or I could have nice educated but old Mm -hmm. um so I like to take the I really like sensible horses so I I took the older more educated horse route and um my new mare's name is is Fanna and she is um she's just my little princess and I love her (laughs) yeah and and so she and I have gotten our bronze medal together um and I took her down to Wellington Florida for a month in March of this past year and so I've I've done I've tried to make the most of our time together you know like I try to do every clinic I can I try to horse show I try to you know get out and about with her and she's been I'm just so thankful for her because she's been a really good partner for it so that's where I am now this summer we've been kind of sidelined with with some like random mysterious pasture injury but I think we're on the upside of that so that is my horse background that is your horse background so what would you say has been your most challenging thing that you've faced hmm. with in your horse life? Yeah. And in your dressage journey? There, oh man, <laughs> there's, there's so many challenges. Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, okay, something that I've written about a lot has been, um, you know, how much I've struggled with performance anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's been a huge thing. But since I've talked, since I've written about it so much, I'll probably leave it at that with that topic. Um, you know, it's uh, another challenge for me has been kind of like you coming to the realization that I'm in a different stage of my life. And what I was doing before in my horse life is not, not necessarily where my heart needs to be right now. Yeah. You know, yeah. So, so for me, it was kind of tricky making that switch from eventing to dressage and knowing, realizing that my horse wasn't the best partner for that. Um, but I think the thing that I'll share with you that's probably most relevant for the people who are listening to this. Um, and, and I'm sure that you'll probably be able to relate to it too. Um, it's like a dressage person thing, I think for sure. Um, is that, you know, if you can't, if you can't do something perfectly, what's the point? Right. You know, and, and, but come on, it's dressage, it's horses. We can't, we can't ever do anything perfectly. And so for a while I had this, I had this hang up that I was like, well, what's the point of me going out to show if, if I'm not going to get a 75%, what's the point of me, you know, going to a clinic if, if I can't ride really well in front of this clinician or, you know, like stupid stuff like that. Um, and and I went a couple years without competing because I just thought it was pointless. And I felt like I didn't belong. Like, people were going to, like, come up to me in the warm-up and be like, oh, you don't belong here. Go home. Yeah. Which, which is ridiculous because yep. that doesn't happen. Um, I mean, sure, people people aren't always always nice, but that happens in any part of life exactly. ever. And exactly. you can't let that stop you from nope. doing the things that you want to do. Um, so for me, I I really had to get over this like stupid, ridiculous idea that if I went to a horse show, I acted like I was going to the Olympics and I had to get this really great score because if, if you, and and I had to wait for the perfect conditions for this to happen, (laughs) I had to wait until I could ride the test perfectly at home and then I would go. And it's just stupid because if you sit around waiting for the perfect conditions to come for you to do something, it it never, ever, ever happens, which 
in hindsight, probably explains a lot as to why I never competed past novice in eventing because I would say, oh, well, I need a better score next time so I'm not moving up or, you know, some something like that. Um, and you know what? I, I'm, I'm really glad that, I mean, it's something that I still fight with. Mm-hmm. And, of course, there's a part of me that cringes if I don't get the score that I want or, you know, things just don't go your way or whatever. But you've had a lot of chances at learning, yeah. learning experiences. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah sure. Which help you get better each time. Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, I kind of say like, okay, if things don't turn out the way you want, at least it turns into a good story. So I've gotten a lot of good stories to write about and stuff. And, and, um, and, you know, I just, I, I think my big, like my big thing, my big message, the big thing that I learned is like, you know, if you're waiting until you get a new horse to go out and show, don't go with what you have. You know, mm-hmm. if you're waiting to get a new trailer and a new rig so that you don't show up in your crappy whatever, who cares? Show up, right. you know, like w- clinicians don't expect us to show up to a clinic as a finished product. But if, if you show up there looking perfect, then your money is wasted. You know, yeah, that's a really good point. Yep. So, yep. So yeah, it's, it's for me, I think it's been fighting that that inner perfectionist. And I Mm. think that's part of the reason why we're all attracted to dressage, right? Is that we're all chasing this idea of, of, you know, the perfect person in the top hat or helmet. Uh, Right. (laughs) Right. Uh, Helmet and tails and that beautiful Grand Prix (sighs) fantasy. Yeah. (laughs) Well, but you know what? It's the slowing down and what's that saying? And I'm going to get it wrong because I I always do this, but it's not the, um, it's not, where you end up, but it's the journey mm. that you should mm-hmm. enjoy. Mm-hmm. I know that's not mm-hmm. the exact saying, mm-hmm. but you know, there's so much of this sport where it takes years and years and years for people to get to the top. And even if you don't ever get there, just enjoy that journey, you know, of learning and, and that harmony that you find with your horse. Yeah. That's what I, you know, I think I appreciate watching your journey with, Fena and just watching the sport in general, seeing, you know, that connection between the rider and the horse and the, what they learn from each other. It's, it's a pretty cool thing to see. Yeah. And I've seen that with you and Fena. Oh, that's nice of you. I, I think, um, mm, I think one of the things that I think about a lot is, you know, I'm, and there's another saying that relates to this somewhere, but it's like, you know, sometimes I get so overwhelmed with the fact that I'm like, I'm not anywhere close to riding at Grand Prix. I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm still like focused on just trying to get kind of a respectable score at fourth level or, I mean, forget about the score, just riding competently at the level that Mm -hmm, I'm at. Right. We'll leave it at that. But, um, so it's easy to get overwhelmed by everything that you have in front of you, all the things that are left to accomplish. But then I'm, I kind of have to pause and remind myself like, okay, but if Lindsay, if you were to go back to, to that girl who was doing vaulting lessons at, you know, six or seven years old or whatever, and watching, watching that dressage trainer ride in her top hat and tails for the first time, that girl who had that longing and that desire, like, what would she think if she, if she saw what I was doing now? And, and yeah, I'm not where I want to be, but that little girl would probably be looking at me saying, wow, that's cool. Yeah. I want to do that someday. That is a fantastic way to look at things. I think that's a fantastic <laughs> way to look at things. Yeah. I, well, and at the end of the day, I mean, we're all in this because we love horses, you know, and whether, you know, it's like me, I'm not riding and owning a horse right now like I had been. You you are and you sometimes struggle with, I want to be 
further along that I am, but we all need to just slow down and enjoy what we, yeah. what we are doing and what we have and the wonderful animals that are allowing us to do this with them. Yeah, totally. So. And I think, I don't know, I think if we kind of think about like honoring our, our inner horse girl, you have to, yeah. we always have to remind ourselves about, you know, why we started in the first place and, and that piece inside of us that just wants to go touch like the fuzzy end of the horse's nose and stuff exactly. like that and not lose sight of those things. Yep. Exactly. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. We hope we hope you enjoyed this, and we hope maybe we've shared some stories that, that you can relate to. Um, be sure to check us out on dressagetoday.com and head over to our video training website, Dressage Today Online. Jen, you want to tell them a little bit more about that? Yeah, we are um, really excited about um, dressagetodayonline.com. We have more than 1,700 videos on there, and we are working on new content all the time. We've added new stuff um, this spring, and we have a lot more coming uh, this summer and fall. So definitely go check us out. Thanks for listening to the Dressage Today podcast. You can learn more from Dressage Today and read in-depth training articles at dressagetoday.com. Or you can visit our new on-demand video site, dressagetodayonline.com. And for daily dressage training tips and advice, give us a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest. Happy riding! The Dressage Today podcast is a production of the Equine Podcast Network an entity of Active Interest Media and the Equine Network.